Sirius XM Sports Podcasts presents Mad Dog's Daily Bite with Christopher Russo. And good afternoon, everybody! If you have not seen it yet and I have discussed it, Reggie on Amazon Prime Video is a great documentary on Reggie Jackson's career, sort of half on his career, half on the issues that he had to deal with playing in Birmingham and growing up and everything else with his dad. And it's excellent. Uh, You know, a lot of Joe Rudy and uh, Raleigh Fingers and Henry Aaron before he passed away. Uh, He did a great job, Mr. October. And a lot of it's on his career too. So, you know, you get that 77 thing with the mess with Billy Morton at Fenway, the World Series, the homers, Munson, the whole nine yards. So we got that to discuss with uh, Mr. October, plus all the other news going on with his hometown team, the A's. And he says hello. Uh, Reg, it's a pleasure. Always great to talk. How are you today, pal? Okay? Good to have you, boy. I'm very good, uh, Chris. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, We have a friendship, and that's always nice. Um, uh, Always nice to see you. I like it when you come out here to Monterey and play a little golf. Well, here's what I can tell you about Reggie with friendship. You you tell me how many folks that you know that can get a ride from Reggie's house to the Pebble Beach Inn, Pebble Beach uh, uh, <laughs> Resort. And Reggie gave me that ride at 11 o'clock one night. Make sure I got home in good shape. That's the great Reggie Jackson as we visited him out there in uh, Monterey. All right, Reg, a lot of things to do. Let's do the A's first. I read the quotes this week in the New York Post uh, yeah, with Spotify, and I'm glad you did. You did not blame this on uh, ownership or John Fisher. You blame this in a lot of ways. They moved to Vegas, and you, of course, play with Oakland, three championships with Oakland. You blame this more on the city of Oakland and maybe even the state of California not figuring out a way to keep them there. Why don't you edify that right out of the gate? Go ahead. You know, the the, the toughest part of it all, and, and I want to get to it, uh, which you know, is, is that I should have owned the team. Um, then after all of that, you know, you wind up seeing the team just slowly deteriorate into a 4A team now. It, it, it's not a big league team. Uh, at this, And at the same time, uh, I do know that the Fisher family has put a ton of money into it. Um, I don't ever think it was ever going to be uh, in downtown Oakland at the the terminal or whatever it was called, the ingress and egress is impossible. It would create too much clutter. Um, I do know Mark Davis. um, And there's another guy that was a a significant player in this deal was Joe Lakup, who was a, you know, classy guy. Some people, uh, you know, bust his chops a little bit, but he's a fabulous operator and certainly wealthy enough. He was a player to buy the A's. Um, and then the Fisher family really came through uh, Bud Selig. Uh, I was high bidder at 100 and uh, the team traded for somewhere around 140 million. Uh, and we offered 25 million more than any other bidder that would come along. Uh, right. we, and, and I had to resell the team for some of the Silicon Valley guys. And we were going to resell it for two seventy five to get all the people in the, in the deal. But um, what's happened, uh, Chris, is it's deteriorated so bad that you've got to leave. It didn't draw a lot of people anyway. Uh, at the same time, if you would have taken Lake up with the Warriors and Mark Davis with the Raiders um, and ownership, 
you could have built a tremendous facility there uh, with all of the three teams occupying that particular area. There's well over 100 acres there. Um, and I do know that the Fisher family owns part of it. Uh, Mark Davis has got real serious concerns with, with what happened. He still hasn't gotten over it, although he got a bucket of money to go to Vegas. And his team is, is wonderfully successful. But for the town here to not have a professional franchise when they had a three, and it, it, it probably needs uh, teams for, 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 for financial success or for their economy more than any other city in the country, so maybe Green Bay, because Oakland was a small town city that had a chance to be big time. And so I blame the people that were running the deal to, in, to, to build the stadium, to get something passed. I don't know the inner workings. I don't know the, 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 the problems that, that happen socially between people and then hard lines get drawn. But they certainly should have done everything in their power to keep those teams for the fans in Oakland. Um, and and I'll, I'll end it with that. You, the, part of the reason that they're leaving, you, you can't sustain participation in major league sports anymore without revenues that come in from the fans. You've got to draw two and a half million people and you've got to charge fees so you can afford the players. And if you don't have any money, you, I don't know anybody in the world that's going to sustain a hundred million dollar a year losses. 50, 60, 70 million dollar year losses. Maybe Steve Cohen in New York. Maybe. But maybe. Uh, you know, I had um a cavil on the other day, the A's, you know, president, and he said Fisher and the family spent a hundred million dollars in working with the city, environmental tests, lobbyists, you name it, to see if they can get something done in Oakland. That's I said a hundred million. That sounded like a hell of a lot. That is accurate. Heard, That's a, probably a fair number, about $100 million, Rich. I heard the same number. I, and I heard the same number from, uh, from, one, from one, of the, one of the owners. I heard the $100 million number. And you just can't sustain those kind of losses if, if they're, whether they're two, three years or whatever they are. You got two or $3 billion on your own. It's going to wane away. So from that standpoint, we blame the city. You, uh, now, let's go back to Selig. Why I would think that Selig would want to would want you, uh, African American, uh, we all know owner was star for that in professional sports, uh, a, a Hall of Famer, you know, an A and a Yankee. You can pick your hat. I'm not even sure what he probably wore a Yankee hat. I'm not even sure what hat you wore at the Cooperstown. But you know, won three championships here in the West, two in New York. I would think that Bud would have bent over backwards to make sure that you and your crew would buy that team. How come that didn't happen? Let me hear. Bud went, Bud went out of his way to not have me get the team. He, I, I, I gave him the honor of being the commissioner. I called him and said, Bud, I would like for you to help me get this deal done. I want to bring my money in and let you know who they are. He said, Reggie, I know who your people are. You don't need to bring them in. About a month or so later, we were you know, in negotiations with Bob Dupay. Uh, we had some conversations with Bud. Um, and this guy, he was a part of a group that was in Bill Gates and a few other guys sold 
Comcast to NBC, I want to say. And he showed it. He showed me a check for $987 million. This guy, he said, I got to give part of this to my sister, but we've got enough to cover the A's. And so I said, well, I asked you for 80. I need a hundred. And he said, let me call my sister. We can do that on the way to going up to see uh, the commissioner. And we ate lunch at Bobby Vans right down underneath the Pan Am building. There used to be a restaurant there called Bobby Vans. Well, I know it is, yeah. Yeah, and so we went up on Park Avenue and showed the money, and uh, Bud swore that he would, you know, walk me through and make sure it got done. And by the time I heard about it, the deal was done with uh, selling the team to from Ken Hoffman and uh, Steve Schott to the Fisher family. And there was a guy that Bud put in there that he went to college with by the name of Lou Wolf. Yes. I drove... I flew to Southern California and met him at a Hyatt in, in Long Beach. In fact, I went to that Long Beach hotel to do something for Jim Crane about three months ago. And I, I said, wow, this is the place where I met Lou Wolf. And he said, Reggie, I can't help you. I've only got $10 million in the deal. The rest of the money has come from the Fishers, and I'm just going to be the managing general partner. This is controlled by Bud. And so I asked him if I could own a piece. He said, no. Did, I, you, I ex- have- did, you, did you ask Bud for an explanation of how you thought you had a deal and he sold it to Fishers instead? I went to the, uh, Bud was in uh, Sloan Kettering in the hospital about a week or so later. And I tracked him down and got permission to go into his hospital and into the, into the bed there. And he didn't have much to say. Um, I, I even, I had him in my documentary, um, admitting what happened, but it got edited. It got edited out. And that I had issues with the production company that I worked with. Um, it was not, uh, it was not Amazon, um, that they took it out. Uh, but, Bud had an admission on film. That said that we hurt Reggie buying a team. Interesting. He said, well, you know, Reg, um, I asked four or five times and I couldn't get an answer. He'd go off about Jackie Robinson's daughter and go off about what he's doing with um, minorities and how Hank Aaron was his friend. Uh, He wouldn't answer. And so finally, I I kept asking the same question. And he said, well, you know, Reg, Twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, seventy years ago, and I say it just like that. That's how he said it. Sometimes those things uh, happen, and uh, you know, it, it wasn't me, but uh, maybe they weren't ready for you uh, to be involved. And oh, really? So the other ownerships, the other owners, things. may have didn't didn't want you running the ball club at that time. That's what you took. Well, out of it. It, it, that's I. I no, I took out of a a a um a, a diversion it wasn't the other owners it was him because okay. wolf was his guy remember wolf was his guy right right so you, I, the bottom line yeah. is the bottom line is you were close to buying a team and if you bought the team who knows you might have a team in oakland right now that's the bottom that's line. exactly that's exactly right and and at the same time if you if the team doesn't make it as as the raiders 
couldn't make it financially there. They have a terrible stadium deal. They, they don't own the concessions. It's terrible what, what the deal was there. I know Mark very well. Um, and however, if even if we'd have been in the situation where we are now, you got a billion-dollar valuation on the Oakland A's. It's $1.2 billion. Now, that's legacy revenue. That's money that changes every person that's around me and changes my life as well. Mm, um, sure. I think if, if I would have owned a team that had been a groundswell from the home folks there, that Reggie's going to own the team, he's an Oakland A, he's going to bring his friends back, he's got good business sense, he's got people that are going to run the team, let's get this stadium built. And there would have been a groundswell. Well, I agree with that. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I, it couldn't hurt. They didn't get the stadium built with Fisher, so maybe they could have gotten a stadium built with uh, yeah. Reggie. Uh, before we do a break, let's ask you this too, because I find it very interesting. You, um, you know, I, I, you, you go into it with the documentary, the Reggie Doc on Amazon Prime Video, very, very good, about you know your break off with the Yankees, and you talk to Hal, and you know you get the idea that the Yankees, for whatever the reason, you wanted to be a little bit more hands on, have a little bit more influence, younger players, get a little feel of the team, being more involved in that instead of the ceremonial situation where maybe you were sort of wrapped up in, you wanted to have a little more of a say with what was going on you know, and, and have an influence with the team, maybe the way it was built or the way the players uh, improved and it didn't work out. And then you go to Houston. Now, you know, and I know you know Crane well, I know you like Crane. We've talked about Crane before, but that's the Yankees arch enemy of the Astros. You know, it's not like you went to the Philadelphia Phillies. You went to the, I mean, you know how much the Yankees more than anybody, you know how much the Yankees hate, hate the Astros. Do you, I mean, I know you're happy there and they've treated you well. I'm sure the Yankees can't be pleased. Jeez, Reggie is a great Yankee. He won two championships and now he's freaking with the enemy with Houston. Has that frayed the relationship? Fill me in on that decision when you went to the work for the Astros in your role when the Yankees and you, for whatever the reason, couldn't sort things out. Let me hear. I'm interested. You know, it, it absolutely has not frayed my um, relationship with the Yankees. I talked to Kyle Steinbrenner on holidays. Uh, the last time I talked to Hal was probably two weeks ago. I sent him a box of Reggie bars, and he said he was going to talk to Marty, uh, I want to say Greenspan, um, to get the bar in the stadium. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's the Reggie bar. Yeah, right now we're, we're, we're working with uh, uh, Dylan Lauren that owns Dylan Candies uh, there in New York City. And there's a couple other markets and, you know, H-E-B out of Houston that's going to carry it. But um, no, my relationship with the Yankees, I left the Yankees because I didn't have any participation. While I, um, I do believe that uh, Brian Cashman had a lot of respect for me as a player, uh, my input in what was going on with the team and who we were trading for, who we were uh, who should play what position or whatever, or what we're doing in the minor league system. Uh, I was not a significant piece of that. We were in a real turnover uh, with analytics and anyone that had experience in baseball struggled to stay with the team. And I don't know if there's anybody there now that has baseball experience and some super knowledgeable uh, people that the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, 
um, you know, I really thought would get a shot at it. Um, you know, Andy Pettit's not around anymore. Uh, guys that really had great meaning and significance with the team. Um, I enjoyed being a Yankee. I mean, how do you walk away from the Yankees with the perch that I had being a special advisor to the owner? And when I go back to Yankee Stadium, whether it's the head of security uh, uh, for the stadium or whether it's, you know, Eddie, uh, Eddie Fasthook, you know, the security guys for the team, uh, the clubhouse guys, the Cucuchos, both of them, Lou and, and Robbie, I have good relationships with everybody there. I, I, I cherish my time. I love the fans and the people there. Uh, I have nothing negative to say. I would like to see, um, you know, a few different people hired, if you will. I've never really understood why Willie Randolph is not part of that team. He lives down the street. And so those things uh, will, will kind of bother me forever. But what happened was uh, um, the baseball personnel, People like myself that brought the experience of the game to the game. Um, they're all gone, me included. And I didn't, I, I didn't want to get booted out, so I walked away. Well, and why I wouldn't Hal? I, I mean, I had, how, does I Hal, an, how does Hal let you leave? Why wouldn't Hal say to Cashman, hey, Brian, the guy did. The guy is, is a Hall of Famer. He had 500, was it 563? 563 home runs. I mean, he's won five championships. You mean to tell me we can't figure out a place to have Reggie do something? Why didn't that well, happen? Um, that, that didn't happen because uh, Hal said to me, he said, Reggie, I want you to stay. I want you to stay here. I want you to work with me and communicate with me. And I said, Hal, I think that's great, but I want to interact with the guy that's making the decisions. And Hal says, Reggie, I don't really want to be, I don't really want to get involved in that. So I respected Hal. I flew to Tampa to talk to him. I didn't send him a note. I didn't send him a text. I didn't send him an email. I flew to Tampa right. uh, to talk with him and gave him that respect. And now uh, I won't say anything negative about the Steinbrenner family because uh, in, in 1993, I went to work for the Yankees and got a great job there. And they were not hiring minorities anywhere in baseball, but George had me become the uh, special advisor to him. And I'll respect that for, for a very long time. I still hear from um, uh, some of the Steinbrenners, if you will, um, the daughters and uh, have a good time and, and, and great conversations with them. But they wouldn't let you, he didn't want to get involved. Interesting. I learned something there, Reggie. I didn't know all the machinations. Now I do. All right, Reggie, of course, Arizona State played football. We had him on at the Super Bowl. We told you all about that. Uh, Reggie, uh, you know, should have been drafted by the Mets. He wasn't. He had a, a girlfriend, which I think scared the Mets off. The guy that Mets drafted in, what, 66, 67, Steve Chilcott, I think his name was, a disaster. Yes. Reggie, yeah. turns out to be, uh, Reggie turns out to be an all-time great. In this video that you see here on Amazon Prime Video, you see a lot of Birmingham Baron stuff. When Reggie played down in Birmingham, when you were breaking in here in Major League Baseball, and you brought, obviously, fingers down and Joe Rudy down, but that's a big feature of your doc there, Reg. Minor leagues, you dealing with the nonsense you had to deal with, even to a degree when you got to Kansas City, yeah, first year in the late 60s, you had to deal with a lot of, um, you know, uh, listen, it's all relative. It's not, it's 20 years after Jackie, but you still had to deal with a lot of this nonsense, too. You highlighted pretty well here in the doc. Talk about that for a sec. Go ahead. You know, um, 
you know, Chris, I think that there's so many guys that have walked that path and it gets forgotten here in our country that it was like that in the deep South and still certain pockets of it from time to time. I was watching something the other night that talked about an uprising of the Klan trying to uh, get back together and have their organization in 2022. Um, I mean, so this stuff still still goes on in our country. And I'm not just the only guy that went through it. I think every black athlete that was in the South in the 60s and 70s, like I was in the 80s, et cetera, uh, absolutely tasted that um, bitter part of their of, of their social life. Um, and you have to put it aside and keep moving and keep moving ahead. You have to eat it and not really digest it, but you got to chew on it, spit it out. And so that you can do the right things for yourself and for your family with the oppression along with it. Um, and when you talk about it, there's some people I talk about it to, and they're shocked that it was in the era that I lived in or played in. Uh, at the same time, you can talk about the indigenous part of our country with the, the Indians and the Trail of Tears, where they made the Wally Indians walk across the Mississippi with no food and no water. That's that's forgotten, that kind of stuff. In, you know, there's there's things that happen in, that have happened around the world at Jewish friends when I was 30 years ago. I'd see them roll up their sleeves and you see a tattooed number on their wrist or on their forearm or underneath their thumb. That was their date to go uh, to be to go to Auschwitz in those places. And so and people forget that you can't, you can't forget that kind of stuff. Uh, and so it, it needs, I don't know, it doesn't need to be talked about, but it's part of who I am. And it's part of a lot of people, especially people that are 60 and above, whether it's Dr. J or whether it's Michael Jordan or, or whether it's Magic Johnson, you know, the, the tremendously successful guys, you know, there are people that um, have dealt with oppression and racism and those kind of things and anti-Semitism. Uh, LBGTQ, the whole deal, um, it, 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 it just needs to be talked about so that we can do something about it uh, and make our world a better place. We're supposed to be the leader of the world. We're not. You know, we are not. And we should be because this is the best place in the world to live. Period. Uh, Ex exclamation point. Uh, you know, you bring up Birmingham, which I you know I hate to admit it. You know, that's not that surprising. I was surprised in Kansas City in your rookie year. It wasn't the most easiest transition in the major leagues. You know, minor leagues, Birmingham, and we I'm not trying to make light of it, but, you know, all right, I'm not shocked. I was a little surprised by your issues in Kansas City in 67, 68. Tell us about that. Go ahead. Kansas City, Missouri. You know, that's a that's a southern state. And uh, I had a, a, a roommate there. I got a room uh, just in, in a, a projects and I could walk to the stadium. Um, I had a, a 67 Pontiac. There. I was a hot shot. And um, I could walk to the stadium, but I was living with a guy in a black community. And I was I had one Samsonite suitcase, man. And I had three or four pair of Sam's belts, pair of bass weeds, weeds and shoes 
my sister put dimes in it in case I ever got lost or something. But um, I was going, I was sleeping, and this guy was standing naked in my bedroom door in the doorway. And I just didn't know what to do. I was scared to death. Um, finally, he walked away after being there for who knows how long. And I packed my stuff and packed one shoe and three pair of underwear and had one of those Samsonite suitcases with a handle on it and a set of wheels on the back. And I was walking down the street and um, a police officer about three 30 in the morning, flying, shined a flashlight on me and said, boy, where are you going? And I said, I'm looking for a place to stay. I'm going to uh, walk to the Plaza hotel. He said, well, can you stay there? And I said, I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm going to go there. And he looked at me and he said, are you Reggie Jackson? And I just breathed a sigh of relief. And he told me to hop in and he took me to the hotel downtown. But wow. That's, that's in Kansas City, 1967. Yeah, I, I, I was 19. I was 20. I was yeah. 20 years old. You know, and that kind of stuff happens when you're 18, 19. And we all know a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid is doesn't know very much about life and you experience those kind of things that they mold you. You don't forget those. It, 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 it makes you sometimes difficult to deal with because of of the history that you dealt with. You're not dealt like a human. You're not dealt with like a human being. Uh, Well, now listen, uh, when you left Kansas city to go to Oakland, you in Kansas city one year or two, did you play one year or two years in Kansas city? Uh, I played just a couple of months in Kansas city. Just a couple of months. In six, okay. 1967. And, and then, then the A's we, moved to Oakland in 68, right? Okay. In 68, when, yes. When you got to Oakland, did you find it better or about the same? Oakland had a large minority population uh, between Asian, Latin American, and African American. Oakland had a, a at least a 20 to 30% population of minorities. And, and a lot of successful because there was a lot of education around in colleges and you know, whether it was Laney College or whether it was um, use, um, San Francisco University. And then, of course, Cal Berkeley was there and Stanford was close by. So it, it was a wonderful area for me. I really enjoyed Oakland. So you were happy that you moved out of Kansas City. All right. When you were becoming the great home run hitter that you were, did you find that this racism angle lessened? Or did it actually at times become worse because people were jealous of you? Um, you know, I, I never really thought that deep about it, Chris, because it's, it's, it's too hard to think about it and try to decipher who's thinking what about you or who's trying to work against you, uh, who's, who's, pulling, who's pulling against you or trying to create obstacles. You know, hitting the baseball and trying to play the game as best you possibly can, hitting in the middle of the order and being responsible for victories and losses is enough of, a, of an issue, enough of a job to deal with rather than who was disliking me because of the color of my skin. I, I, you just can't get there. You can't, you can't go there and treat everybody like they're that way toward you. I got that way. I got to the point to where I was afraid of white people and uncomfortable. You did get that way, even in Oakland. Wow. Yes. Um, the, yes. the year that the year that you challenged 
Uh, Ruth, would you, how many home runs you have at the All-Star break? 30 what? 37, 38? 37. 37 at the All-Star break. If you were to have been in that scenario a little later in your career, where you're a little more mature, a little more established, a little more comfortable in your own shoes, could you have broken that record? I think I would. I know I would. I want to hit 50 homers and then worry about 60 later. Um, I was 23, 24, something like that. And it was a little too much for me. I got hives and wound up in a hospital. And I think I only hit 10 home runs after the All-Star break. Yeah, you hit 48 I for the think. year. You hit 48 for the year, right? 48, I think. Yeah. Uh, 47, 47. 47. You know, so, so uh, it, it, I wasn't quite mature enough to handle all the mess that was going on and um, didn't get there. Did you see, did you feel that the A's... When did you begin to think that the A's, you won in two, three, and four, did you see that coming for a year or two prior to that? Did you think this A's team was going to be a dynasty uh, and win three championships in a row, say, at the end of the 70s season, beginning of 71? Did you see this great team developing and where you could be a dominant ball club for a three- or four-year period? Uh, yes, I did. Um, you could see that because the only team that was better than us in that era in our league was either the Orioles and the Tigers were really good, but the rest of the teams didn't match up against us. Kansas city had a real good team with their pitching staff, George Brett, Frank White, Freddie Paytech. And, and that crew was a John Mayberry, pretty good team, but we always managed to beat them. Um, and even when we were with the Yankees, Kansas City was a good team. But we were the class of the league because we had Catfish Hunter, we had Raleigh Fingers, we had Vida Blue, we had Kenny Holtzman. Uh, and then they started the, the relievers where the metal reliever became a dominant uh, player or participant at that time. Uh, but we were balanced with left-handed and right-hand power. Uh, we were balanced with real good defenders, near Hall of Famers like Rudy and Bando and Campanaris. Uh, Fingers was a Hall of Famer. Catfish was a Hall of Famer. Near Hall of Famer with Vita Blue. I mean, so we had some players there. You sure did. How about DiMaggio as your hitting coach, which you bring up uh, in the documentary? Go ahead. You know, DiMaggio was a guy that, was was really all image with us. He lived out in, in uh, here in San Francisco, and and um, Finley hired him as as kind of a prestigious thing to draw people and to draw attention to the ball club. And Joe never overstepped his bounds. He was always very reserved, didn't say much, and very classy. His presence made you play better because you wanted an all time great to give you a stamp of approval to say that this young kid's a good player. So really? that's really, yes, wow. that, that's what he did to me. When I played against Aaron or Mays or Gibson or any of those guys, I always wanted to show those guys that I was a good player. And so their presence of sitting on the bench is very valuable for a team. That's one of the reasons I think that, the Yankees had all their older players come around because whether it was Whitey or Mickey or Yogi walking around, uh, they were important, great players that you wanted to play well in front of and live up to their expectations as makes an ex-Yankee Yeah, it yeah. makes you better. 
Amazon Prime Video, the Reggie Doc, uh, Reggie Jackson, of course, Mr. October. All right, Reg, uh, it's sort of a combination. Uh, Reggie's, you know, his career through the minor leagues and, uh, you know, the lack of uh, diversity in Major League Baseball and his career, plenty of his career in there, too. Um, Reggie, how about the um, – how, how do we improve it here? I mean, we got we got Brown there in um, – in Atlanta, which is in Houston, which is good, but still not enough black or African American general managers. We just discussed ownership, with you get not getting a chance to get the A's. I know Manfred's heart's in the right place. How do we get more participation from African Americans as far as Major League Baseball is concerned? What do you see? Let me hear. You know, um, I'll I'll give you a tip of the cap there when you say you believe that Manfred is. I think Manfred's trying. I've had good conversations with him. Uh, I have Seth's had some good conversations with Michael Hill, who's senior vice president in charge of baseball ops. Uh, I would like to see more minorities um, participating in, in, in the commissioner's office. I think when young black kids that are playing baseball see people in, in positions of not just players, that they're attracted to it. Um, being in Houston, uh, I've met some wonderful people there. There's a, a, a guy that everybody knows by the name of Travis Scott. And Travis Scott had a huge, has a huge focus on minorities and HBCUs. Uh, I was lucky to host a, um, uh, a championship series that he had with six teams, uh, Grambling, Florida A&M, uh, Texas Southern, and a couple of the others, uh, uh, Grand Prairie, a couple of the other colleges there, Jackson State, that's five. And so that's I saw a positive. Two, that's a positive. I saw okay. 285, 200, and I think there was like 40, 50 players on each of the six teams. So you've got, you know, six times 40, you got 240 players there all African-American, not all African-American. I was pleasantly surprised to see a population of about 20% of those teams that were white. Um, but I was so impressed that um, Travis Scott spent 750000 to rent the stadium for three days to have a tournament for the HBCUs, which is a huge get, I feel, for the Astros, for our team, the town there, et cetera. And I was just really honored to be a part of that group. Um, with the diversity that I feel is needed, I think there are so many quality people that uh, can be in the game and should be in the game, not just uh, get waved along, if you will. Um, I, as you say, I do think Rob is interested in doing something. Uh, we'll see because I'm going to, you know, challenge him and, and get with him because he's been opening the open to listening what I'm saying. And not only does it need to be done in, in, in baseball, but hell, there's 75 percent of the players in the NFL are black. Uh, there should be not maybe 85 percent or 75 percent of the personnel in the front office because people are going to hire their 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 friends uh, at the same time um, there should be more in the NBA the NBA population for players on the courts 80 percent at a minimum um, our owner made the effort to uh, where we interviewed myself 
and some of the other executives, Jack, Jack Bat, Jeff Bagwell, Jim himself, um, interviewed all the candidates. And we had six candidates and we had four African-Americans. Uh, there's a guy named James, uh, who was the, the quarterback for um, <clears throat> the first black quarterback in the James NFL. Harris. Uh, James Harris. This guy, right? James Harris. Uh, he works in Cleveland. We interviewed him. We interviewed so, Mike Hill. So, and, some, and so, so, some, so, 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 not enough progress, but an, but a little light at the end of the tunnel is what you're telling me. A little light at the there's end of the tunnel. Light, there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm not so sure that it should be done through commissioners. I think it needs to be done with owners. I think the owners in the NFL and in the NBA, as our owner did with the Astros, um, made sure that we had minorities that were qualified to be interviewed, and that's how we got our guy. Yeah, that's how we. Reggie did a great job with this stock. We will talk along the way all year. You know that. Always a pleasure. Keep up the good work. Appreciate you coming on here a few minutes today. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Want more Chris Russo? Listen to Mad Dog Unleashed weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM Channel 82. Mad Dog's Daily Bite is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.